This is the legend of the Giants War of the Solomon Islands, part one. It's said that giants have inhabited the Solomon Islands for thousands of years, dating back as far as possibly the fallen from the Book of Enoch. Many of the local indigenous believe that these giants even survived the Great Flood, and they inhabit the subterranean pockets possibly to this day. For example, a well-known story takes place in 1998 when Ross Mining Company was able to allegedly bribe government employees to allow them to attempt to mine gold on the islands. According to witnesses, a mine was set to be dug at a location known as Gold Ridge on one of the islands. So the company immediately began moving in heavy equipment, namely bulldozers, because they had to prepare to move massive amounts of dirt in search for the gold. It's said shortly after they began excavations, a blade pin on one of the dozers broke, putting it out of commission. So rather than having to deal with taking the 10 ton blade back to the shop, they just dropped it in its place and took the dozer back instead. But what Ross Mining Company apparently didn't know was that the zone that they were mining actually butted up to lands inhabited by the giants. So after having fixed the pin on the bulldozer, they brought it back to the job site the next day. But much to their astonishment, the 10 ton blade was gone and they had no idea where it went. They were absolutely baffled, considering that the thing weighed 10 tons, what could have possibly moved it? So the crew began looking. They began combing the area to see if they could possibly find this massive blade. When one of the workers was combing the edge of the thick jungle and he yells out, Hey guys, I found it. What they weren't ready for was what they found next to the blade. A massive footprint claimed to be up to three feet in length. While the workers never fully came to a conclusion, the indigenous people or the locals knew exactly what it was. They claimed that this giant with a massive footprint up to three feet in length, making it close to 18 feet tall, tossed the blade over 100 feet into the foliage. This account is just one of many, and what others don't know is the indigenous people of the Solomon Islands have been dealing with these giants for thousands of years. And what these people have gone through while living beside these massive humanoids will absolutely blow your mind. So stay tuned, part two. The Giants of the Solomon Islands, part two, Killer Giant. Chief Hyamus of the Northwest Guadalcanal tribe, the Maravavos, sits on the beach defeated. Behind him, one of the many small villages of the tribe lay in waste, reduced to debris the night before. Tears begin rolling down the chief's face due to the death of his eldest son, his most favored child. He can't believe it has come to this, but he knows he must do what he has to do to save the tribe's people. The night prior, they were having a village-wide ceremony when suddenly they hear boom, boom, boom. The ground around them begins to shake and they know exactly what this means. It sounds as though a herd of elephants is crashing through the dense forest and it gets closer and closer until suddenly it bursts out of the edge of the jungle. The villagers scream in sheer terror and begin scrambling for their lives as the 20 foot tall giant gazes upon them. He smiles at the thought of what's to come before he lets out a loud Hulk-like roar. The striations in his muscles flex and he resembles something of a Titan or a Herculean hero. But he is far from it. He starts through the village, grabbing up victims one by one. As this is going on, a handful of warriors arm themselves with spears and begin an attempt to push him back with little effect because he is just too massive. The giant, who was more annoyed than deterred, sets his eye on the lead warrior, 
who was the chief's son. He snatches him up and slams him to the ground, killing him instantly. He then, with his dinner in one hand and the other hand free, defeats the rest of the soldiers with ease. When done with the warriors, he continues his attack until he got in his fill. Satisfied, the beast retreats into the jungle. After this attack, the chief was at his wit's end. He didn't know what to do. He'd been fighting this beast for months, and they cannot seem to defeat him. Countless warriors, countless villagers sacrificed. They tried their hardest to hold their ground, but they couldn't. They simply had to go. So he orders the drums to be beat to the sound that tells the villagers there's a village meeting. Known as a great warrior among the tribes himself, Chief Hyamus is almost ashamed of his decision, running away from a singular giant they cannot defeat. But as a leader, he knew that he must if he wanted to save his people's lives. Shapuru, the chief's eldest daughter, was being punished for having a child out of wedlock. While restricted to just her hut, she sat and listened to the meeting. Terror struck as she knew she might be left behind. The story of the Solomon Island Giants, part three. They abandoned their village. During the meeting, the chief told the village people to gather as much as they possibly could, get their war canoes, and were leaving today. Once the meeting was over, Chapuru anxiously waited for her family to get back to the hut. They confirmed her fears. They began packing their things and loading them onto their war canoe. As they were doing this, Chapuru cordially approached her mother and asked whether or not she'd be able to go with them when they left. Her reply was, I don't know. You'll have to ask your father. It's up to him. The rest of the tribe, along with the canoes, had already departed. The chiefs was the very last one. Chapuru's siblings were loading the final items and getting ready to shove off when she ran down the beach and approached her father. She respectfully asked him, Father, Am I to come also with a look of absolute fear in her eyes? Her father's reply, no, you cannot come. There is no room for you and you have broken our laws. So you must stay. The giant can have you. Let that be your punishment. And with that, her family shoved off and she watched as the canoe disappeared around the corner. She broke down and cried in despair. Her tribe and her family abandoned her. She's in utter disbelief. But as darkness falls, she remembers that the giant will return to look for more victims. And just as she was deciding what to do, she heard it. Boom! 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 The massive beast blasts out of the edge of the jungle and looks for the villagers. But much to his surprise, they are all gone. Knowing that there's no point in running because the giant's speed and agility far surpassed that of a human's, Chapuru laid down and played dead, waiting for the giant to take her. Through squinting eyes, she watched as the giant spotted her and began to approach. She held her breath, hoping to God he didn't figure out she was alive. Once he got to her, he kneeled down and began smelling her, looking for rotten flesh. And there was something he obviously did not like, because he went back to the jungle and started looking for bamboo so he could sharpen it and cut away the spoiled meat. When the beast was out of sight, she got up and began running as fast as she could. She ran like she has never ran before to put as much distance between her and the giant as physically possible. Under the cover of darkness, she made her way towards Southwest Guadalcanal. It said she ran for two days and two nights in fear that the monster was tracking her, which apparently they're really good at. Eventually finding shelter and passing out. After this series, I'll share the source I used for these stories. For next.
Solomon Island Giants, Part 4, The Twins' Revenge. When she woke up the next morning, Chapuru felt she put enough distance between her and the giant, so she began looking for some sort of shelter. She walked for a few more miles south, but knew she was getting close to the other tribes, but didn't want to run into them in fear of them putting her to death because of her unwedded condition being with child. Eventually, she'd find a cave behind a small waterfall. She often seen passing canoes go by, but hid from them in fear of her condition. So she went on basically living in the jungle by herself, taking care of herself. She made vegetable gardens, fished, hunted to satisfy her ever-increasing appetite. Months later, she would birth two boys, twins. So with virtually no help, this girl lived on her own, birthed herself, took care of her twins with zero family support or tribe support. For the next few years, she raised her boys, taught them how to hunt, fish, and eventually they grew up and were able to help her take care of each other. So years later, the twins were now in adolescence and she had been sharing the stories of her heritage, sadly, with them. As they grew into their teenage years, Masi and Konda saw the sadness on their mother's face as she grew older. They saw the sorrow that filled her heart as she shared the stories of her tribe's people, the Maravavo. And of course, with sharing those stories, she also had to tell them about the giant. So one night, after Chapuru had been weeping, telling her sons the stories, the twins, who were ever rebellious, devised up a plan to redeem their mother's name. They decided they'd go back to Northwest Guadalcanal, where her old tribe was, seek out the giant that had caused all of this mayhem, and avenge their mother. So after agreeing on their plan, Masi and Konda went to sleep. The next morning, when they woke up, they told their mother they were going on an adventure and they'd be back by dinner. But they never came back. That evening, the twins weren't home for dinner. And they had never done this before. They had never stayed out past dark. So Chapuru waited anxiously for as long as she could stand. And she knew exactly what they were doing. She grabbed her spear and headed towards her old village. She moved hastily up the coast all night, hoping she could intercept them and stop them from this foolish task. Two days later, Masi and Konda ended up at Kondo Vele, their old village. Then, with somewhat naive faith in themselves and their bows, they set out on the hunt. So Masi and Konda make their way towards the mountains in the tropical rainforest that the giant was said to inhabit. Meanwhile, Chapuru was making her way as fast as she could to catch up with her defiant sons. After stealthily moving through the thick jungles for hours, Masi and Konda stumbled upon a giant's footprint. This led them to believe the giants were still in the area, so they continued on towards the mountain. When they found freshly made footprints, at this point, they knew they were in close proximity of their target. Concerned for the wind direction, they continued to follow the tracks left by the giant until they got into a clearing at the base of a foothill. They quietly crept into the clearing when suddenly the giant jumped out of the bushes. Startled, they ducked down really quick, but it was too late. The giant had spotted them. Standing about 30 meters away from them, the giant, with his large stone axe raised in the air, let out a violent, blood-curdling roar and then tossed the axe at the twins. Seeing the axe hurling towards them, the twins separated 
and the axe went right between them, hitting a tree behind them and toppling it over instantly. As they split, Masi and Konda swiftly reach for their bows and pull them out, smooth and easy, calm and collected. To them, it seemed like time had slowed down, but in reality, they were very quick with their movements. They knocked an arrow, drew back, and shot at the giant. Both of their arrows piercing it in the chest. It stopped in its track. The giant pulled the arrows out. Now he was angry. He raged and started heading towards them once again. When Masi pulled another arrow out, shot it, and hit the giant directly in the eye. When Kona saw this, he got a little jealous. So he knocked up an arrow real quick and hit the giant in the other eye, rendering it blind. The beast cried out in pain, while the brothers, eagerly jostling with each other, began shooting one arrow after another after another at the heart of the beast. The giant stood motionless for a few seconds and then fell over with a loud thud. He was dead, and they cautiously approached, firing a few more arrows for good measure. When they realized he was dead, they shouted for joy. The twins never had any doubt in their mind they were going to successfully kill this giant. This giant that had caused so much pain for their mother and her tribe. So as evidence, they cut off the giant's head and went back to the old village where their mother was waiting for them. As they approached their mother, they raised the head of the giant. Mother, look, look. With this, she boiled over. Chapuru, enraged at her disobedient sons, goes over to a tree, breaks off a switch, and begins whipping them, cursing them for being so defiant. The boys the entire time were trying to plead their case as they had killed the beast, but their mother didn't care. She was angry. But once her anger subsided, she couldn't believe what they accomplished. She was so excited. They finally killed the beast that caused her so much turmoil. So the old Maravavo tribe with Chief Hymas actually moved to another island across the way. They could still actually see their old village. So the boys climbed up with the giant's head to the top of a coconut tree and lit it ablaze. As they were eating breakfast the next morning, getting ready to head back home, they saw a canoe come around the corner with 40 or so warriors on board. Their grandfather, the chief, saw the smoke and sent warriors to investigate. They found Chapuru and the twins with the giant having been killed. Startled, the twins grabbed their weapons and get ready to go to war. This was the first time they had ever seen another human. Chapuru, quickly recognizing that they were her fellow tribesmen, told the twins to wait and greeted them as they made it to shore, explaining what took place. They were actually very joyous to see Chapuru alive, as they had kind of forgotten about her, assuming the giant had had his way with her. She told the story of her warrior sons as they approached Arrows Ready, still weary of the tribesmen. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. They quickly went back to the island where the chief was and told them the story. Deeply saddened by the way he treated Chapuru, he called the village elders to a meeting. Chapuru eagerly waited at the old village for her people, and they came back, rejoiced, embracing her with open arms. Her father was the first to step off the canoe, and with tears of joy, they hugged. That night, they held festivities, pigs were slaughtered, and they sacrificed for the ancestral gods. Masi and Konda were given wives and large parcels of land. They later fought off a western headhunting tribe successfully, and they went down in history as some of the greatest warriors of their tribe. Chapuru never remarried. The chief had passed away and made Masi the new chief. 
Chapuru passed away in the late 19th century. They buried her at a village that is now named after her. Masi and Konda lived till a ripe old age and they are now buried in their old village. And if you go to the islands and ask any local, they will know this story. It still rings throughout history. And that's just one of the many stories of the Solomon Island Giants. I will continue. Hope you enjoyed.